When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the show. And whilst if you look at the table, Fulham don't particularly look like we're desperately in need of points. My God, did it feel like we needed that win on Saturday. And it came against a team where points have been somewhat elusive in recent years. A bit of a bogey side is Bournemouth. Plenty to talk about today, namely the return of Rodrigo Muniz. Absolutely unbelievable brace from him. Just an all-round beautiful day at the cottage. And as you looked over that famous Johnny Haynes stand, you could see a rainbow and at the end of it was three points. Here with me today to unpick what was a fantastic win at Craven Cottage is Avas Malik. How are we doing? I'm all good, George. How are you? I'm fantastic. Elizabeth Barnard, are you well? I'm great. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. And Harry Durham, how are you doing, pal? Hello, Coops. All good, mate. All, all good. Nice one. Elizabeth, I believe you've got some three-word reviews for us, if you wouldn't mind uh, kicking off, please. Yeah, I do. Um, I really enjoyed them this time. Really enjoyed looking through them and I have way more screenshotted than I can read out. Um, But I will start off with one that came from Daniel, but also like a lot of other people, uh, which was Cherry's finally popped. I think almost predicted by Jack on the Thursday podcast. If we were going to win today, that would be the three word review. Um, And then from our very own Adam Fakarsen, Rodrigo Sunset Boulevard. Um, obviously, beautiful skies over Craven Cottage, and then the BOU in capitals uh, for Bournemouth. Um, a lot going on there, and liked it a lot. Um, then I've got Midnight Guthries uh, with a play on the AFC part of Bournemouth's name. Another frigging corner, alluding to the fact that Bournemouth ended up having 14 in the match, which is pretty absurd. Um, I've got Ben Walbruns, Muniz, Muddles, Maraschinos. I like that you've gone to the effort to Google a type of cherry. Um, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> and then I'll finish off with Jack's. Um, 
Triore is alive. Yeah, yeah. A wild Triore spotted. That was a, a rare novelty, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, I just imagined the, the Google search cherries, cherry types beginning with M and trolling through in order to get one. But some great three-word reviews. Thanks everyone who got in touch with them. I mean, Harry, although generally speaking, I feel like the fan base is pretty safe. I feel like we're you know, not in massive danger this year. Everything feels very sort of mid-table. And I mean, there might be a few people looking over their shoulders tentatively, but by and large, it didn't feel like a must-win game. But at the same time, it felt like a game that we really needed. You know, we we, we needed that win, just more for the fan base and morale and feeling around the club. What were your feelings upon the final whistle? It was just like a scalp that we needed to take, really. Like when you get towards the crunch time of the season... Um, because obviously you don't know how everything's going to play out. We don't have a time machine and we can't see where Fulham are going to finish, but obviously we're all probably going to predict that Fulham are going to finish either like 13th or 14th. But those are the games that we have to be winning, Coops. Simple as that. Like the teams that are in and around you. So what are we, I think Bournemouth are just above us or below us. I can't remember the table. Very busy weekend, but we're pretty much identical to one another. When you look back on like a season and games like that, if say for instance we go and lose like five on the bounce now, that three points, and we don't know what's going to happen with Everton and Nottingham Forest and their potential um, points deductions. But say for instance the appeal uh, gets well gets overturned and whatnot, and they don't get charged, then we could be right down there, mate. To be honest with you, and beating someone like Bournemouth is somewhat is exactly something that we need to do. I, I would have said the same and I felt the same off the back of um, Everton a couple of weeks ago. A game that could have been 2-0, 2-0 to us or 2-0 to them at the same time. So it's something that the fan base has really needed, mate. And um, I'm very happy for some certain individuals that I've slagged off before in that team to get on the score sheet back to back. <laughs> we'll come on to the... <laughs> The Sao Paulo tractor that we all know and love uh, in a bit, I'm sure. But yeah, it felt quite tense, I feel, the opening stages. I mean, what I was sat, um, I was actually sat randomly in the in the Riverside for this week and our, our normal season tickets got moved and it just felt a bit tense. It felt a bit tetchy. You know, there's a lot of nervous energy about. But at last, we got a bit of luck. That BDR five minutes in, I mean, Lewis Cook's slip... It was it was almost like slapstick, wasn't it? I watched the, the the replay just now. And it's one of those sort of slips. It's not just like he loses his footing, allows BDR to get in. He full on, like whoop, like banana skin, legs flailing everywhere. Um yeah, it was brilliant. And BDR, our top scorer, how are you feeling after that goal winning? Elizabeth, did you have that same sort of sense of just relief? Yeah, huge relief as soon as it went in, honestly. Uh, and like you, I've watched it back. I think there's, a, obviously there is a huge portion of luck, but at that moment, BDR was the player that wanted it most at that time. And he was the one that was going to get it. And he's a really tidy finisher. Um, top scorer, as you said, top scorer a couple of seasons ago when we were unable to score any goals. Um, I was asking my boyfriend the other day who he thought our striker was. He's not a fan. Um, of any football team and he said Bobby Deckard over Reed and I went well no he's not really our proper striker like he's not our striker and he said yeah but he scores you the most goals and it's kind of logic you can't argue with at this point he just time and time again delivers Bobby turning into a real cult hero on the uh, on the banks of the Thames let's come on to Mooney's you know nine minutes before half time 
Evas, I mean, that was a proper poacher's goal. You could argue that the Bournemouth backline could have been a bit more agile and the, how he manages to stick his toe on the end of that. But it was just such a beautifully worked ball. William, who I thought was fantastic today, so much of our threat coming along the uh, left-hand side. And classic cut in, back to BDR, the score returning provider. And I mean, that, that was like it was sort of Lineker-esque. Well, I, I think Muna's had the game of his career in a Fulham shirt, just like Marco said at the end of the game. And he was everywhere. He was winning those first balls. He was always introducing players to the game like Mitro did. And as you said, that left side of TC, Willian and uh, um, Jedi, they were absolutely dominant in, the, in their like final third. And that ball across from Willian to, onto Bobby's head was brilliant. And put, like in those moments, we've always worried about what Bobby's decision-making is there. Sometimes he crosses the ball, sometimes he goes for goal. But with his head there, that dink into the middle is exactly what he needed to do. And Munich just wanted it more. And to get that toe onto it was perfect. And I'm just so happy for him because as much as he scored that goal against Burnley, you could see emotionally how much that meant to him. To score with everyone cheering from other cottage would have meant that much more for him. And it really, you know, as Marco again said at the end of the game, really gives him that edge to feel like he belongs here. And I think Willian has had a huge influence on him on and off the pitch. And when he had that first English interview, Willian was there supporting him. And I think makes a huge difference for him. I think he's now really integrating himself into the team with that language barrier and no longer a problem. And, and I'm all for it. I think he's great. And I think his energy is what we need. He's such a lovable character. And it's like strange because to, to watch Moon is and his, his physical profile, which we, we, we have kind of picked up on, he's a, very, he's a very lumbering forward. He's not exactly a sort of like agile, sort of like on the back line. And to get on that ball, it was just instinctive striker kind of kind of goal. And yeah, to your point about William sort of being a, almost like an older brother figure, I mean, Muniz is what, 22? He would have watched William tearing it up for Brazil and very much looked up to him and stuff. And to have that kind of duo is, is something to behold because at times Fulham played some real like Samba stuff. The second goal as well, William again providing, it was just, it was, yeah, it was just absolutely wonderful to see. I mean, Harry, how, what you, how do you sum up how you're feeling about Muniz right now? Because obviously he's having his moment. He's feeling adored by the, by the, by the fan base and it potentially gives Marco a bit of a selection headache, what with our uh, low knee from over the road now. But he, you can't be dropping him at this stage, surely. You can't drop a player that's like so in form. You know, it's 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 like when TC came in. It's like when TC came in and sort of like Harrison Reed like lost lost his space. TC was so good in and around before Christmas and during that festive period as well. Even though we did lose three 0 to Bournemouth away from home, he was so good at driving that ball, and he's become yet again a staple point in this team. And you've got to sort of draw comparisons to Mooney's as well. For a guy to score, what, three goals in his last two games, if someone is as full of confidence as, as that, sorry, I couldn't get my words out. If someone is as full of confidence like that and is a real presence up top, you'd be an absolute idiot to do that. Yeah, I do want to see Broyer get a start and, I don't know, get his feet under the table because, what, it's only been two games where he's come off the bench, but... You can't. You, you genuinely, and it's it's one of those tough things with someone like Armando Breuer or any player when you've been uh, when you've been bought in as a striker, and then all of a sudden your other sub striker has now had a rocket pretty much put up his ass, 
and now he's completely unplayable. Like I thought the finish for the second goal was unbelievable because it's one of those ones. It's a perfectly weighted cross by Willian. And you saw it the same with Brennan Johnson for Spurs yesterday as well, where it's like, even though the ball was lofted in by Willian and the ball was driven across by Son for uh, Brennan Johnson, both of those can easily go over the bar. So for him to be that cool, calm and collective, then fair play. He's, he's, he's completely undroppable now. And I never thought on what's the date today, 11th of uh, of February, 2024. I never thought I'd say that Rodrigo Munez would be undroppable. (laughs) Yeah. Who'd have thought it? Stranger things have happened in football, as they say. Uh, I thought bar a brief spell in the second half where, Bournemouth really came at us following the break and were causing us all sorts of trouble, particularly down that right-hand side, and then eventually did grab the goal. I thought Fulham were so controlled and in in you know the driver's seat, we we had control over the game. We were incredibly dangerous down the down the left. I've asked, was there anything in particular that struck you about the way that Marco set up for this game? Because we know how Bournemouth play; they like to you know, press intensely and we were able to kind of break that press time and time again. Um, how, how did you feel Marco kind of enabled that? Well, the way that um, Iriola had set up Bournemouth to press, they tried to press on um, Diop, particularly from what I noticed. They wanted him to be the one that makes the mistakes because he's prone to it. The, st- the stats actually show that Ream has, was, was, not, not, was not in the top five for passes completed, which is really un- unusual for Ream because he tends to be the, dri- the person who drives the ball forward from the defence. Because we all, all ended up having to funnel towards Castagna and to the right. But then because we beat the press by either doing that or passing it to Polina, um, through the lines, then across to Bobby, we would we would beat their three four man press, and then drove it across to our left hand side. And I think we we they played into our hands. They focused on um, Diop, which led us to doing what we normally do anyway, which is to put it across wide through Polinia or straight to Castagna, bring it down the right wing, and then cut it across to the left to let Willian do his magic. So it, I, I honestly felt in that first half, their only threat truly was that that corner that came to the near post that Solanke skied into Rosette. Wasn't really overly worried about them in the first in the first half, and even in the second, they had that pressure to start with. They obviously got rollicked at half time, Bournemouth, and they pressed at low. They were all over us to start with, and they scored. It was an unbelievable goal if you watch the replay. Senesi's goal is so good, um, but they were only really a threat from corners. For some reason, we were flapping at everything. We looked so nervy from the umpteenth corners. But otherwise, I wasn't really that worried about them. I don't know whether others felt the same, but I felt like we were in control. Particularly, we we got nervy for a decent portion of the second half, but I never really felt like we were going to lose control. Your point of them trying to drive the play to the right on Diop was absolutely spot on. There was a, there was a great thread online by, I believe it was uh, Cottage Tactico, which kind of talked to that and how we look to break the press by um, a combination of bounce passes of Paulinha and then up to Munez. But Munez wasn't actually particularly successful in his aerial battles, but we had support around him to enable us to pick up the second ball, which is where so much of our attacking presence came. And I thought it was, it was really just you know just a fun match and I mean William looked so so sharp Harry I mean you can't just you can't understate his importance to this side at the minute in terms of our sort of attacking outlets can you 
Mate, he's Benjamin Button, if ever I've seen the real <laughs> incarnation of Benjamin Button. I feel like I've said this a million times on this podcast as well, or if it's in my own videos or if it's speaking to other people, is that it's the Willian of old, mate. And we all thought he was going to be washed, well, obviously off the back of Arsenal. And I think like all of us uh, living in London or having mates from London, pretty much most of my fan, my most of my friendship group are Arsenal fans. The first people that I went to uni with, people that I work with, or whatever. And then as soon as like uh, Willian joined, what last summer, it was they were like, "Do you know what you got yourself into?" And I don't think uh, this this might be a really bold shout. What I'm about to say. I don't think I have ever seen in all of my years of watching the Premier League a player go so far down and completely kill off their career and resurrect their career as much as Willian. If if anyone can think of someone, then speak up or forever hold your peace. Because while I watch him every week, especially down that left-hand side with Anthony Robinson, it's... And I've said it before that their link-up play and the overlap from Robinson as well. On form, he's the best in the league at the moment. He's, he is, and and the fact that he gets to work alongside Willian as well, it's just superb. And I stand by exactly what I've said just there. And I've been sober all weekend, and that's not even me hungover saying that about Willian. That is, it's the best resurrection I've ever seen from a player who is meant to be down and out, and he's nearly forty. Yeah. It was a, he like has he hasn't aged at all as well. He looks he no. looks exactly he looks exactly the same as he did when he was <laughs> tearing up for Chelsea what like twelve years ago. Uh, but yeah, I mean, long may it continue. I don't know. I don't know. You know what his secret is, but I think we need to. He if he could bottle that up, he'd uh, he'd make an absolute absolute fortune. Lizzie, let's talk about Mooney's second goal. I mean, I, I sort of briefly touched upon it earlier, but it was just a thing of beauty, wasn't it? And also that I feel like it was arguably the defining goal of the game because Bournemouth had just got that uh, Senesi goal. They were looking quite dangerous and I feel like it just kind of stunted any potential momentum that they were building. Yeah, it was definitely a momentum killer for them, especially you could feel it in the crowd after what happened last week against Burnley. We'd gone 2-0 up early and we conceded a goal and we were thinking, oh my goodness, it's going to happen again. We're going to concede again. We're going to get a point or less from this game. Um, and the third goal was gorgeous. I was sat um, right near the cottage yesterday in a very different space to where I usually am. So I only saw it so sort of far away. And then when I watched the replay, the way that Munez comes through with the speed that I don't know why the Bournemouth defenders couldn't have defended that better, to be honest. Um, but as I said, he just wanted it. He's in form and took it on the volley and smashed it into the net. It was amazing. Uh, and I'm so pleased for him. Like, a Luna's brace was not on my bingo card for this year <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, I can't believe it's happened, really. <laughs> what were the, um, what were the, what was the celebrate? I was sat, obviously, the opposite end of the ground, so I couldn't see what his celebrations were to the hammy ends. Can you talk me through what the emotions that he was giving off? Was he, was he, did the waterworks get turned on again, or was it a lot more, uh, <laughs> was it a lot more composed? He's having a great time from what I, uh, what I saw. He's having a great time. He even said in his interview after the game that the first goal, he was trying to be calm, but that second goal, he was going to unleash his dancing. And apparently Pereira was meant to join him in the dancing and then Pereira was having none of it. So he had a bit of a solo <laughs> dance to himself, is what he said. Right, Pereira done him dirty, did he? Yeah. He wasn't very calm after the first goal. Like, I would refute that. <laughs> um, can we talk about the fact that on the Sky Sports thread, Dominic Solanke was given man of the match. Avas, can you can you try bollocks. and can, oh, like the only I can, 
only explanation I can have is that they're just thinking, oh, I guess Solanke is kind of somewhat within the sort of football discourse. People know who he is. He's playing well. Give it to him. It was just, I think, the most lazy punditry that I've, yeah. some of the most I've seen this season. I've asked, can you, can you pluck any sort of logic behind that decision at all? Like, I'm yeah, playing, I think I you might... know, play devil's advocate here. I think I might be able to. Um, so that is a voted man of the match on their Premier League app. And right. I think people are hoping that he gets three bonus points on their fantasy football if they continuously vote for him and get him man of the match. It's the only thing I can think of because he did two things well in that game. He um, set up set up Senesi for the goal with his header, which was actually quite good. And he got booked. I don't think he did anything else. Um, yeah. So I, I really don't understand. He wasn't the wasn't best striker on the pitch, let alone player. Um, for me personally, I thought it was William. William dominated that game. Every time he had the ball, you were holding a breath, waiting for something to happen. Solanke finally didn't get his um, standard one goal a season minimum against Fulham. So mm. I'm not sure. I, he was totally anonymous to me. Yeah, there were better yeah. players in Bournemouth's team than him in that yeah. game. Yeah, no, agreed. It was a bizarre, bizarre decision. I think you might be onto something with that, with that uh, fantasy football con- conspiracy. Uh, I would, I mean... We're talking about if we were giving like the actual man of the match. I guess it's very hard to look past Mooners with his with his brace. Uh, but I do hear your point with William. I think he was arguably our most influential player. He just looks. It was just William of old, wasn't it? You know the the. You just, how often do we see him just stood stationary, just on the corner of the opposition's box before just tap like you know knocking the ball kind of twelve yards in front of him and whipping in a cross or something. Uh, Elizabeth, is there anyone I saw that you'd like to give a shout out to, who? Uh, he played well for us. I do. I want to give a shout out to Tim Ream, who was fabulous yesterday. I thought I was, um, I watched all those corners come in in the second half of Bournemouth. And whilst, yes, we did concede from one of them, I think on the whole, we looked really assured. And I think Ream was a really good part of that. It was almost like after we conceded, we woke up and we were like, what the hell? Like we can defend corners. Um, and we did it excellently from then, I thought. And he was so assured from when he was playing out from the back. Uh, yeah, Tim Ream for me, I think. Well, although obviously Willian, but Tim Ream second, maybe. Yeah, it's so nice to see him back, uh, you know, on that left hand side of the central defensive pair. And he was just composed. He just looked classy, didn't he? It was like he hadn't sort of been away. And do you think that his performance yesterday could potentially warrant a bit of a selection headache for uh, for Marco Silva, Harry, for when um, for when Calvin comes back after the African Cup of Nations? I think, what, AFCON's just kicked off now, I believe. Um, I think you'll probably see that Tim Ream will start on... Um, uh, Saturday against Aston Villa because I don't, I don't know if Calvin Bassey is a drinking man or not but if Nigeria win <laughs> AFCON tonight if Nigeria win AFCON tonight I imagine they're going to get the first flight from the Ivory Coast straight over to there and it's going to be a, it's going to be a party mate it's going to be absolutely unbelievable and I know what I would probably rather do is party over playing against Aston Villa on the weekend mate to be honest um, <laughs> I think I think both him and Bassie even if they don't pick up injuries tonight and they win are definitely going to be out of action mate but if you're speaking <laughs> about it on like on, on the terms of actually like class on the pitch if oh, it sounds so harsh to say it sounds so harsh to say but if Calvin Bassey was coming back and he wasn't hung over and this that and the other and he was fully fit I would still take him over Tim Remate. Um, 
I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this partnership of Diop and Bassi is going to be like, especially with Tosin ruled out at the moment as well. But I think the festive period in December, and now Calvin Bassi can play on his favoured left side. He, he was absolutely insane before going to AFCON, mate. And I'd like to think that by him and Iwobi coming back, winning AFCON, hopefully, and then that's 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 their good vibes, bringing it back to the cottage, then we can push on for trying to go for a top 10 um, finish come May. So, yeah, dropped him, Reem, if Calvin Bassi is uh, feeling good. I just hope that if Iwobi and Bassi do win... Um, AFCON we don't have a Kevin McDonald situation where he obviously partied so hard after the playoff win that he was just never the same player again time will tell Lizzie should we talk about the substitutions they were fun weren't they yes we should let me try and remember who we substituted on <laughs> so we had we reverted to late on in the game to obviously try and a bit of game management from Marco we, we reverted to a back five which we uh, haven't seen much of with uh, Anthony Robinson on the left-hand side of the central defence and uh, Balatore coming on as a left wing back. And then we had Adama Traore on the left wing. And uh, as Dan pointed out in the quick take, and if you haven't seen it, I do really recommend watching that because it's filmed immediately after the match. And Dan and Sammy are just absolutely on cloud nine, giddy with excitement. <laughs> but as Dan correctly pointed out, is that arguably the quickest left-hand side the Premier League has ever seen? Like I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed we didn't get to see that kick into full gear because that is just like blink and you miss them kind of stuff. But I mean, it's great to see Troy right back, right? Never thought I'd see yeah, the day. Sure. I enjoy that he's the only player. It's very referee vibe that he is the only player that tucks his shirt in. Um, nobody else does <laughs> that, but he does. I don't think I don't think I've got more to say. I think it's a shame that we're never going to see them start together. And obviously, like we brought them on to shore up the game um but yeah i i'm excited to see more of triore i hope he doesn't injure himself again i think it was a shame that we never got a chance to play a ball over the top for adama to stretch his legs he, he felt a little bit anonymous but it was the the idea was right to with that very pacey left side to really worry bournemouth on the break but it's a shame we never got a chance to do it but it bodes well that he's actually finally fit or whatever issues were going on are resolved so that we have that on the bench because yeah. i don't know about anyone else but after the press conference before the game, I was actually really excited about this game because we finally had a bench that we could we could rely on from an attacking point of view, where before we were so threadbare. So I was really excited to see that we could actually change the game if need be. Um, obviously, we didn't need to too much, but to bring on Wilson and to bring on Adama and obviously Harrison Reed to shore up the centre, it was actually really nice to finally see rather than, you know, as we as I alluded to in the podcast before, bringing on, putting on kids into the squad who were never going to come onto the pitch. So... With um with Calvin and um Iwobi coming back quite soon, we finally got a pretty good squad again. And then this crisis that we were worried about a couple of weeks ago seems to really dissipate. And I think that's the that's the great thing about being mediocre in the mid table is that, like on one hand, we hadn't won this calendar year, but now that we've won, we're unbeaten in three, five points of three games. It's not not so bad. So I think yeah, things are looking up. I think it was a I think it was a great weekend for us to, and we needed it. We needed that win. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Like, you've obviously uh, become very used to this, uh, putting on a football podcast, but the, the difference a win makes is is quite astounding. You know, I think if, had we lost this game, especially in, a, in, a, in an embarrassing fashion, there would have been multiple, multiple 
head losses. Just quickly on Breuer, Harry, uh, any any other kind of take on his performance? I know we've not seen much of him. He had a bit of a run out against Burnley. Um, looked a little bit laboured from what I saw. And again, I mean, he looks mobile. I have to say that he's a lot, he's no slouch. He's a lot quicker than um, both Mooners and, you know, uh, the other striker options that we had and quicker than Mitro was, certainly. Um, but I mean, have you got any sort of feel about how he can fit into the setup yet? I think it's just one of those things where um, I think if you're a loan player or someone that's been loaned in, you're going to feel quite deflated if you've come off the bench twice and you see the starting striker actually scoring goals. And obviously, like we've mentioned before, you can't drop Munez right now. His movement is really good and I was impressed with his movement at Chelsea. He just needs to beef up a little bit. Good at getting in and around that back line. So I'm expecting a few one-on-ones. But if, or hopefully... Not, I don't hope this happens for Munoz, but if when his form drops, I think Broya is just waiting for that start. I find it really hard to sort of like judge a player off of sort of like 10, 15 minutes of football in each game. So what he's probably had, I don't know, I can't remember what time he came on in like Burnley, probably like last sort of like 15 minutes or so. So 30 minutes of football off the bench. There's not been too much to read from him at the moment. But I think when that start comes, and hopefully it's not the last game of the season away to Luton, because Rodrigo Munez has scored 15 for the season. Um, I'd pay I'd four like million to... for that situation, by the way. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, like, it'd, be, it'd be mental, <laughs> wouldn't it? Take, take my money. Take my money. <laughs> but um, it, what was I going to say? But I, I, I imagine that he's just like ready to go. Probably in a change, he's in a change room that's somewhat like good vibes. If off the pitch in the fan base, we're all a bit disgruntled. There is a real togetherness within this squad. There's no bad apples. There's no one toxic within that team. Uh, it's not everything's not falling down around him like it was at Chelsea. So I reckon, mate. To be honest with you, I reckon he's just ready to go. He's we're probably not. He's probably a little bit deflated, being like, "Oh, come on." I'm ready to start. And then he sees Munier scoring twice. And he's like, oh, maybe I can actually nick a goal against Bournemouth. But it's frustrating that obviously we haven't got another cup game um, to come now. You can't start them against like a lower side. But if when we play, I can't even remember when we play Sheffield United. I don't know if we would not play them twice. But that's that's going to be Fulham written all over 5-0, to be honest with you, if Borussia probably scoring two of them. So it's just like the right opportunity for him to come up. Um and then he's just going to hit the ground running. Yeah, I think it's a really good situation for us to be in because obviously healthy competition within the squad is good. As you said earlier, Harry, a rocket has been shoved up Moon's ass, and he's really <laughs> pulling out the stop. So I think it's all it's all very positive, and I'm quite excited to see what he's got to offer. To be quite honest, can I just add um, the very beginning of the game was so weird. Did anyone see how Bournemouth kicked off? at the beginning of the game um, they passed it back to someone and he did keepy uppies and like hoofed the ball up towards um, towards their strikers it was the weirdest thing I've seen it made me think of <laughs> good old Scotty Parker how they scored their goal against us in the championship when they had that FIFA like kickoff glitch and I was like are they trying to do something else to really put us off it was the, I've never seen it before it's the weirdest thing did anyone else notice I'm imagining that Peter Kay, John Smith advert where, uh, yeah. you know, where they were just like, have it. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really clock it. I'll have to, uh, I'll have oh, to watch back the on, the, on the replay, but I'm all for stuff like that in football. I love it. Even when it's against yeah. Fulham, gotta, just gotta, like, you know, got to break the mould. You've got to change people's mindsets, make them question something and like freaking put, put them off. But it put me off to start the game. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's enough for part one. Don't go anywhere because we'll be back with some of your questions. I'm Alex Rodriguez. 
And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. George here. I'm joined by Avas, Harry and Elizabeth. Thank you very much to everyone who got their questions in. However, before we get on to that, just a quick note from one of our sponsors, NordVPN. If you'd like to watch football matches and TV shows that aren't available in your region, it's really good. Like I've used it when I'm abroad and say I wanted to catch the Fulham highlights on Match of the Day, but you go on your laptop and it says BBC is not available in this country. You can just set your VPN to the UK and you can watch everything else and also say if you're an American citizen and it's a 3pm blackout game but you've got an ESPN login and you're in the UK you can just log on to that and then you can watch all of your shows and TV you can watch Fulham wherever you are in the world and a subscription is super cheap it's like the price of a cup of coffee a month and you can use one account on up to six devices so none of that annoying you've been booted out because your little sister's nicked your password and now you can't use your Netflix or what have you if that sounds like a bit of you you can grab an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to NordVPN vpn.com forward slash Fulhamish to get a huge discount on your NordVPN plan plus four additional months free. Best of all, it is completely risk-free. If you try it and after 30 days you don't like it, you get all your money back. So what have you got to lose? Now onto your questions. Thank you very much for everyone who got in touch. This one's from Rick Cardis, uh, an absolute legend on the Full America scene. I had the pleasure of meeting him when I was out in the States over the summer. An absolute hero. He's in DC. Uh, he asks, I'm going to throw this one to to you, Avas, how confident are you that the club is making a plan for the summer? It seems we are safe and we are going to finish mid-table. I would love to believe that we are planning to do some business early on so Marco can settle the team, but that's not just how we seem to do things. I mean, to rephrase this, do you think we're going to learn from perhaps where we've gone wrong in the past? Or do you think it's a case of... Uh, the powers that be at the at the higher echelons of the club being like, well, it seems to have worked so far, so we're just going to carry on doing it regardless. Um, yeah, what do you reckon? It's more of the latter, for sure. They they have a system of how they recruit, how and when they buy players. They can make bargains towards the end of the window. I mean, I had this conversation with you guys on a podcast before the winter uh, window, and we were just assuming that you've got to get these players in early to integrate them, particularly when we're worried about a striker at that stage. And they didn't learn their lesson then. We Obviously, there's there's a lot of FFP issues over this January that Sydney stifled a lot of transfer window uh, transfer business sorry, in this last window. So hopefully we're more, the shackles are a bit more off this summer. And you'd like to think that Marco has this influence of the players he wants and the timing in which he wants to get them. But I'm not going to hold my breath. I mean, we, we got overexcited last summer. We got really desperate this winter. It's the same old, same old. I'd like to think, though, that there is some plans of the positions and we have an idea of like a short list for each of these positions and we go after them. But we all know the timing. We all know that three quarters of these signings are going to come on the last day of the transfer window, not the day before. Two deal sheets are going to be thrown in. I just don't think we ever learn. And I think it's because TK hasn't really been burnt more so than that £100 million waste from a, a, few, a fair few years ago. So let's hope but I'm not going to hold my breath, Coops. There's an argument here because obviously TK has, has come out and said that, you know, you get better deals as the windows close because teams may be looking to shift players. And I don't think you can 
argue with that. It does seem to be the day if you do want to get a player for a few million less. But would you argue that the benefit of having a player have those extra months to embed within the squad is worth more than the money that you potentially might save on the transfer in terms of how it's going to help the team? I mean, what's your kind of feeling with this? Yeah, I think it is probably worth a little bit more to get them in earlier. Obviously, I'm no football finance expert, but if there's one thing we know about Tony Khan, it's that he loves to be crafting the most intricate deals and then getting a player in. He's worked like super hard to have a deal with 85 clauses in and then we'll get like Mikel Antonio on the last day um, as our striker and that will be that uh, and we'll have to cope with it. So I don't have the highest of hopes and I would like to see us do some earlier business for sure. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the 1st of September deadline day and we're all sort of scrambling to get a couple of people in. Harry, Chris Harris asks, Putney Pele, will it catch on? What do you reckon? For whom? Which one? Or Jigo Moon is, of course, I I imagine. Sorry, I completely completely forgot then what position Pele actually played. I, do you know what? I was getting confused because I saw Jamie O'Hara at work the other day and obviously we used to call him the Putney Pirlo. Then when I saw Pe- I heard Pele, I thought of Pirlo and I was like, now, what are you saying, Coops? Pele played as a sort of like a Roman number eight. Like, and I'm thinking of Andrea Pirlo. Yes, Chris, I'm so sorry for being an absolute Neanderthal. Um, I, I, think, I think you're speaking, if you think that, Chris, uh, I think you're dreaming a bit too much. But... <laughs> The fact that the guy is 22 um, and yeah, he still has so many more years left in the tank and he can still adapt his game. I know I'm speaking in, in riddles and cliches right now. Um, ask me this question, Chris, in uh, in two years' time. <laughs> in fact, 18 months. I, next time I'm on a pod in 18 months' time, I need you to monitor it, Chris. Um, and I want this question thrown at me again. It's just too early to talk. It's like <laughs> a kid. It's like it's like someone having a newborn and they're kicking a football into a goal at six months old or like Luke Littler sort of situation, <laughs> videos of him throwing darts at the age of six. Is he going to be the next Phil the Power Taylor? I don't know. But with this sort of situation, come back to me in 18 months' time. Also, can we just back up on the fact that you called Jamie O'Hara the the the, the Putley Pirlo? Like he was a, he was with us for what a season was he? Surely, yeah. to, surely you've got to be you've got to be there for a bit longer to be gaining that kind of nickname. Well, that that might just be some Fulham fans on the Twitter page. Not all of them, but some of them fall in love with players after just one season. Mate, Jamie O'Hara of the shaved head was a prime dark times of being a Fulham fan in, in the championship. Yeah. I'd have maybe gone for the portly Pirlo over the, uh, the Putney Very Pirlo. good. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it to his face. Love you, Jamie, if you are listening, which uh, I very much doubt you are. Um, here we go. We've got Dom's got a question. Again, it's, uh, it's based on our, uh, our very own Putney Pele. Um, we've kind of touched upon it a little bit earlier in the pod, but I just want to hear your perspective on this one, uh, Lizzie. Obviously, Rodrigo, this is from Dom. Three goals, two games. Is he now our number one striker? Yeah, he is. Uh, with him and us out for, I think we've heard a couple of months, which isn't ideal. Um, it's between those two, right? And you can't drop Moonis when he's in this kind of form. Uh, I if he does drop off, like obviously he could never, but if he does, 
um, I'm excited to see more of Broya, but for now it's definitely Munez, who's our number one. Um, Avas, Chris Blackman asks, is finishing above the filth our main objective now? Obviously referring to uh, Chelsea. There are two filthy teams in this, honestly. Yeah, perhaps. Let's go for, I mean, I imagine he's he's referring to... Chelsea, probably. So is the main aim of our season finishing above them or simply aiming as high as possible for, for monetary rewards? Like I, I'm, I'm obviously this is from a, from a fan perspective. What would, what would mean more to you uh, finishing above Chelsea or finishing high in the table uh, for you well, know, financial I mean, stuff? We, we, we finished above Chelsea last year. Um, we finished in the top 10 last year. So always aim to go as high as you can. But I mean, from our perspective, where we finished 13th, 11th, 14th, it really makes no difference for us from a monetary perspective. I actually don't know what the difference is, is between the different positions. Is it significant? I mean, is it, if I'm sure it was probably worth the, the, the efforts to try and go as high as, as you want, but Marco is not the type to let them, hopefully not let them go on the beach too early and do as best as you can get like, get Muniz's confidence, get Breyer to give us a bit of a discount on that loan fees we were talking about earlier. And we want to, keep pushing on and if the consequence of that is that Chelsea look pathetic and Brentford get relegated or one or the other so I'm all for it I think realistically I think we'll finish above Brentford I don't I'm not overly worried about them necessarily um, Chelsea are so hot and cold that you can't, you can't you can hardly predict what they're going to do but it'd be brilliant too I, I'd be really surprised if we finished sort of close to the top 10 rather than like 13th where we are roughly um, but the trouble is motivation what is our motivation for the rest of the season and I think you know just trying to bag some goals, trying to get us to sing a lot and have some fun. I think our goal is to win away at Old Trafford. I think that's like that's the one thing I want from the rest of the season. We've played five of the big six already away from home with mixed results. Um, but I don't think like, I was going to say, I don't think we've ever won at Old Trafford. Uh, I'm not sure that's 100% true, but I don't think we have. And it would be really, really nice to win there in a couple of weeks time. That would be amazing. And it kind of like ties into what Avast said, isn't it? It's just like the, our main objective for the rest of the season is to just have a bit of fun. We're kind of like the lone horse at the National. Let's just wreak some havoc, try and get some uh, surprise results. Also, just let's some... get basketball kick. Let's get um, a Rabona assist for Raul. Let's, let's, just, <laughs> let's just start trolling teams. Let's have some fun. <laughs> Straight up, yeah. No football, just vibes. Harry, is there any uh, wants, hopes, desires for the rest of the season? What's What would be uh, top of your wish list? Uh, winning, winning away from home at Brentford. I, I'm, I'm not fussed about Old Trafford. Just Ivan Tony when he should have been sent off last season for absolutely ripping apart Sasha Lukic's face. I know that Neil Mopai and Tony are now becoming the oh best strike partnership in the Premier League. Honestly, shut up. Doing them at their place after they smashed us 3-0 in August would uh, make me very happy because I sit next to a Brentford fan at work. Very, very rare, by the way. I've only met two Brentford fans in my life, himself and Natalie Sawyer. And I don't think the rest of them even exist because they just can't afford to go to Chelsea. Um, that is what I, re- that's what I want. We haven't, we haven't won at the um, GTEC Community Stadium, I don't think. That would be my 2020, that would be like the salvation of my 2024. I'd be very happy. Yeah, very positive three points. Things are looking up. This, and there are things to look forward to from now until the end of the season. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll have some nutty events if, uh, if Fulham are involved, that's for sure. Uh, Lizzie, before we wrap up, have you got a favourite three-word review that you'd like to go for? I do. I think if you go to the trouble of Googling different breeds of cherry, 
um, you've got to make our three-word <laughs> review. Um, so we're going to go for Ben Woolbrun's Mooney's Muddles Maraschinos. That's perfect. That's so beautifully full of that as well, isn't it? That is just <laughs> sublime. Like, Dolly, chefs- where's the maraschinos? <laughs> <laughs> it's just absolutely chef's kiss, that. So it might arguably be the best three-word review that we've ever done. That's, 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 one, that's one for the Fulhamish heads, that. That's for the, that's for the real stands. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a lot of fun. What a lovely way to spend a Sunday afternoon. Thank you very much, Avas. Thanks for having me. Have a nice evening, guys. Harry Durham, pleasure as always. Thank you. Take care. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much, Elizabeth Barnard. Uh, it's at the time of recording. It's currently uh, sort of about half past uh, eight. I imagine a few of us will be turning on the uh, the AFCON final. Who's, uh, who's who, who we, obviously, we're all going for Nigeria, goes without saying, up you Nigerian whites. But any any sort of predictions? What do you reckon is going to happen, Harry? Penalty shootout. Pen- Penalty shootout. Um, I think, not if I'm right in thinking, Nigeria have actually like, really struggled for goals, even though they got Victor Oshiman. And the great Alex Iwobi, but Iwobi to score the final penalty. Yeah, I do think that semi-final Nigeria match where Nigeria's goal was disallowed and they went back to VAR and gave a penalty the other way. <laughs> oh, man, like this this final is going to be good, but if it can it can top anything like that, that was that was just one of the craziest moments of football I think we will ever see. But yeah. Enjoy, everyone. Have a great rest of your weekend. Sammy will be back on the Thursday club with the regular crowd previewing that Aston Villa game. But until then, have a fantastic week and we'll see you soon. Come in, you whites. <laughs> <laughs>